Welcome to EIB Today, the podcast from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk Point, publisher and editor-in-chief. My guest today really needs little introduction to Canadians. He's been a federal party leader, a premier, a cabinet minister over well more than three decades in public life, punctuated by time in the private sector. Jean Charest has chosen this time, of course, to return to politics, to seek the conservative leadership, aiming to steer the party into a more centrist position to make it more electable against Justin Trudeau's liberals. It's not an easy path, even for someone with his credentials. And MP Pierre Polyev has been garnering a lot of attention in this race as Charest's principal foe. But let's understand more about Jean Charest now. He joins me. Good to see you. Thanks. Thank you for hosting me, Kirk. Well, I think I met you on the day you were appointed the federal fitness and amateur sport minister. Um, of course, I, I was a high-level athlete back then and still am. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you said you had a couple of young kids that kept you fit. Um, yeah. You've had all these roles. Why return now? Canada has you know, been the story and the passion and the common thread of my political life. I see the country badly divided, frankly, very balkanized. It's probably as bad as it was in the early 80s and uh, and below our potential economically, certainly on the international stage. And Canadians look to the Conservative Party of Canada as being the alternative and the national alternative. So I'm running because I'm very much a Conservative. I'm not a hyphenated Conservative. I don't... <coughs> Excuse me, I'm not trying to bring the party back or I believe in certain conservative values. I have uh, the deep conviction that I, I can, of course, unite this party and make it win, which it needs to do after three consecutive defeats. Hmm. What's necessary for the conservatives to prove to Canadians in this contest that perhaps they didn't prove in the election? Well, and, and it's interesting as a question because we didn't, you know, Mr. Trudeau didn't really win the last campaign. Most conservatives would admit that they lost the campaign. And what we have to do is present really a national vision, uh, first of all, on the economy. We're, you know, we're the party of the economy. Policies that promote economic growth in the resource sector in particular, where Canada is lacking. We've had an approach that hasn't allowed us to get anything done or certainly not big projects done. And I'm a big believer in in the resource sector, including oil, gas, pipelines, mining. And, uh, and we also need fiscal conservatism coming out of COVID. We've spent a lot of money and we have a government that's very good at spending. I mean, I, I'll give them that. I mean, they get first prize on the spending side, but on the side of balancing the books and getting our fiscal house in order, that's now become the order of the day. We have to do that in an orderly fashion. The third thing I'd say is that we do need to find our voice internationally. That includes defense policy. It includes uh, issues where we need to be a stronger presence in the world. And, and on and all those counts, people look as the conservatives. Now, the conservatives are the party that bridge east and west. And when we have formed national government, we've, we've had the ability to get big things done. Well, uh, are the people now look at us and they ask us, are you up to it? Are you, can you guys do this job? Can you produce a leader who will be the adult in the room? Which is the other thing we hear on the campaign trail. Uh, Mr. Manning has been on record in the last couple of days saying that his, his worry is that the party is splitting kind of an east-west uh, chasm again. Um, yeah. is, are you seeing that happen? There are variations in, you know, East and West, but what else is new? I mean, we've, we've had that forever. And my experience, Kirk, has been very positive because in my experience, 
Albertans and people from Quebec or Saskatchewan, they do want to sit at the same table. They, they, their ambition isn't to be apart, but you need a government that compels them towards a, a common vision. And we haven't seen that with Mr. Trudeau. You've had so many uh, endeavors in your public life. Um, mm -hmm. You've done so many different things. But I wonder if, if you would be able to choose one that you would say uniquely qualifies you now to run this party. Is it something that you experienced or accomplished over these last number of decades that you think makes you the guy? I, I participated in the 95 referendum, which you'll remember, and you may have a younger audience who may not, but in 95, we came very, very, very close to losing our country. I mean, this isn't a small, you know, thing. A country breaking apart is a big deal. We came at 0.50% with 93% of eligible voters voting in that referendum. So that obviously defined. And then I went on to lead the Liberal Party in Quebec, which much like British Columbia. I mean, British, in British Columbia, the Liberal Party is a coalition party. In Quebec, it's a coalition of federalists. And pushed back on the referendum that Hussein Bouchard wanted to do uh, by getting a mandate in a 98 campaign. And that that was an interesting campaign because at, at the end of it, the last part, I campaigned only on the idea of no referendum. Lucien Bouchard won a majority of the seats, but we won a plurality of the votes. And that the referendum idea died on that night and the country was allowed to breathe. That was, for me, the most important campaign, Kirk, that I ever uh, was part of wasn't the one I won. It's the one I lost, but where Canada mm -hmm. won. So you mentioned um, Lucien Bouchard, and people recall him as really a very uh, ardent nationalist, separatist, uh, premier of Quebec. Yeah. Um, but in a lot of ways, of course, preceding that, he was uh, a pretty formidable environment minister. And, yeah. and the Mulroney government that you were part of was, uh, was really well known in, in the world for staking out some interesting areas for conservatives, not necessarily what people first expect. I want to ask you about how it is that you've been able to shape your own vision of environmental policy, particularly as it comes to how it is that we're going to um, capture carbon and tax carbon uh, going forward to get to this net zero economy by 2040, 2050, somewhere in there. Now, what have been the, the ingredients for you here? And your remark about conservatives and the environment's interesting. Conservatives, it pains me, have not claimed their legacy. Conservatives did the Montreal Protocol which is the most successful environmental treaty in the world. We did the Clean Air Act with the United States on SO2 emissions in 1990, extremely successful. And, and conservatives produced the Green Plan. I was in Rio in 92 when we did the, we, we signed the Climate Change Convention and, uh, and we then went on to a period where we had all these COP meetings where we put out more press releases on targets than actually meeting targets. And the approach I take is a lesson on that. So I'm proposing a comprehensive approach that deals with carbon capture and storage, biofuels, green hydrogen, blue hydrogen, small modular reactors. We need nuclear power to get to zero uh, emissions in 2050, which is the overarching objective. And I propose that we substitute the consumption carbon tax with a price on carbon on large emitters, which was done in Quebec with a carbon trading system with California, what works fairly well. But I, I want to do it in a way that uh, will allow us to meet the objectives in an orderly fashion. 
and, and really reduce carbon emissions, which we all agree on. And, and I sincerely believe that the, that kind of approach will be more successful than just putting out another press release. And it's, it's one area that the Conservatives clearly have to um, persuade Canadians yeah. that they're serious about. Right? Yes. Um, the other area, I think, would be uh, around many social policies. And I think that this is where Canadians found themselves quite confused in the last couple of years with the Conservatives, because it appeared as if, again, there was a, 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 you know, a more of a social conservatism in the last uh, leadership race that then somehow got modulated around election time, but still had some bits hanging out there. Yeah. Um, what do you think is necessary around social policy, and again, for the Conservatives to be positioned in an electable way? Well, let's talk about families and daycare. You know, when I was elected to Quebec, when I went to Quebec politics in 98, I'm a fiscal conservative. I was very skeptical about Quebec's daycare programs, and I got roundly criticized for it. But you know what, uh, Kirk? I, I ended up uh, being convinced because of, of the effect of the program, which economically makes sense. I would support the daycare agreements that have been signed between the federal government and the provinces, and I would enhance it by increasing the tax credit to families who don't use the public uh, system, increase it by 75%. I would allow parents on parental leave to earn up to $20,000 without being clawed back to reintegrate them into the labor market. I would take federal taxes off parental leave uh, money that uh, parents receive. I would allow a mother to receive the child tax uh, credit as of the third month of pregnancy. I would do more. And why? Because it makes economic sense. What I saw in Quebec is that the participation rate of women was very low and went to the high, among the highest in the world. It brought down poverty, increased, allowed to increase actually the birth rate, and, and, and these are all the positive outcomes we've got with a, 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 an aging population. It makes, it makes economic sense when you get it right. So those are the type of things that we need to think through and get right if we want people to vote for us. It, it seems uh, with childcare that this is uh, the slowest moving national program maybe of all time. I mean, <laughs> I, think we, I think we could start building another railway and make it go faster right I mean, um, I'm wrong. Yeah. yeah, but but why does it take so long? Well, because people are not, I think they need to be convinced. They see the big ticket item. They see the the, the price and then they, they don't see anything else. I mean, they, they, they can't get beyond the headline price. When in fact, when you do, what you do see is more women in the labor market, families who are actually better off because both parents, and by the way, all based on choice. I mean, this isn't, we're not forcing anyone to make any choice they don't want to make. But the biggest obstacle, I, you, I think we have to start with the understanding that the biggest obstacle for a family in deciding whether they're going to have children or not, one of the biggest is the access and affordability of daycare. And if you don't address that issue, you're, you're, you're creating an environment where that's an obstacle to having more children. And we have an aging population and we need more more people. You know, Stephen Polos, who uh, was a governor of the Bank of Canada, put out a book about the age of uncertainty in which he makes exactly that case that you'll increase productivity if you get the design of these programs right. So getting on getting beyond the headline is a challenge. Uh is one of the issues, though, uh, also that as a country, we're still having a lot of trouble in particular jurisdictions, and I'd include British Columbia in this, 
trying to figure out what belongs as a public sector program, what belongs as a privatized program or as a, as a mixture, as a hybrid. And you can carry that, of course, into the health sector in all of this. And I guess what Canadians will wonder about, too, is where are you around issues uh, involving private health care, uh, as, particularly as the population ages, and where very clearly we're going to have shortages in the public system to accommodate that aging population? Well, we, uh, you know, we're coming out of COVID, there's a lot of lessons to be drawn. We really have to have a hard look at our health care systems across the country to figure out what we need to change. And uh, going into COVID, our healthcare system was already in bad shape. And uh, all the metrics are pretty low. And even though we were proud of it, we're pr proud of the fact that it's a right to have access to healthcare. I would change the Canada Health Act, Kurt, which has been you know, put up as a sacred cow for a very long time. I would open it up to allow provinces to experiment with new models of delivery uh, and using the private sector. I would maintain the single payer so that means that you would not have to put your hand in your pocket if you're going to the hospital or a clinic, but I would definitely open it up so that we could have more of that uh, resource on the private side. The example I keep using is a knee and hip replacement clinic. Government could very well conclude an agreement with the clinic and a group of doctors. They do diagnostic operations, post-op and rehab, and, the, and be paid a set amount per patient. They'd be more efficient, they'd be more specialized, and you would free up beds and hospitals for cases that are, are more complex. That's the kind of area in which we need to move if we're gonna be. I'd be do more to re recognize credentials within Canada of nurses and doctors, but also outside for new Canadians so that we stop putting roadblocks up for, for those people who come to our country and, and can help us deliver healthcare, but then are sent back to school instead. I want people, I think, um, perceive you as a, a moderate man, um, someone who doesn't raise his voice terribly much. Um, so uh, I'm going to risk uh, getting your blood pressure going today. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about your opponent in this, right? Because you, it is getting personal between you and Mr. Polyev. Um, why, why do you worry about him in this country? Well, he's the front runner in this campaign, by the way. And you know, I'm the underdog in this campaign, which is fine. That's been, you know, all my life I've been the underdog. I, I keep, you know, reminding the media that I'm not good at winning polls. I'm better at winning election campaigns, which is also an issue in this in this race. I have a general concern. Let's let's keep it general that Canada has a choice of going down the, the route of American style politics you know, of, of division and polarization and hot button issues and sloganism attack dogs. Now, this may be okay for Americans. They may survive it all. I have no appetite for it at all. But we're Canada. We want to be, you know, we're, we're Canadians. And I want us to practice uh, politics in the way that is consistent with our values and who we are. We're not Americans. And by the way, American style politics, which at its base opposes one group to the other, would be very damaging to our country. I mean, uh, it would be very damaging. So I'm, I'm very skeptical of that and of anything that looks like it or sounds like it. And I think we should stay away from it and, and, and build a, you know, what we believe. We know we, we have a challenge. We're geographically, we're big. British Columbia is 
you know, isn't the West, it's British Columbia, and it's a, it's, it's a ways from Quebec and Ontario. We need to make a constant effort to build those bridges if we're going to be successful. And that's where I am. Yeah. What's going on though with the crowds that are showing up for him? What, what do you think he's, is there something that he's tapping into that you also see that you believe needs to be tapped into as well? Well, the candidates, the main candidates in the race, it's interesting, are all running very different campaigns. Uh, Mr. Podiev has, you know, he has these, these meetings. Uh, Madame uh, Lewis, uh, Leslie Lewis has, has worked with a lot of church groups, which is perfectly legitimate. And Patrick Brown is off the radar and working with a lot of cu cultural communities. And he's a formidable organizer. I don't underestimate him at all or, or Miss uh, Mrs. Lewis, who are, I have a lot of respect for and I my campaign is on the ground and substance based I'm the one who's putting out policy but it's about memberships in the end we have until the 3rd of June to recruit as many people as we can to support our, our camps and my my race we tell people to go to jeanchare.ca take a membership if you if you want to support me and then at, before the 3rd of June and then we have to convince people get them to vote and then Kirk it's a mail in ballot so, uh, and you, it's a preferential ballot. So you choose one, two, three. And just to add to a bit of the story, it's a hundred points per riding. So, you know, a thousand members in uh, riding in Saskatchewan has the same weight as a hundred members in a riding in New Brunswick. And so uh, that's why the front runner loses in these races. The last two times the front runner is lost because they top out at the first ballot and, and then the votes of low flow in the direction of whoever's the strongest. Do you miss those delegate uh, delegated conventions though? There is something about them that made them, uh, I think, uh, something of an event and it, it aired issues. You, bear in mind, Kirk, a leadership race is a test. It is a test. If it's done the right way, you test the candidates, you test the party, and you, you respond, it's not like an election campaign, but it's extremely important because if you get it right, you're going to reinforce the party and, and make it better prepared to, uh, to offer good sound policy to Canadians and a real alternative to this, uh, this liberal government. Um, my last question, because I'm being uh, encouraged by your aid to do so, to get, to get this off to another event. Um, I, I, I like to ask, people who are going through something fairly formidable like this, um, you know, leading during the pandemic, any number of things like that that have really tested uh, your, your own core is uh, what are you learning about yourself all over again? You know, what's interesting, uh, Kirk, what I'm, where I am at this point, I just, I'm delivering ideas and policies that I believe in and I'm not letting myself, I'm, I'm much more resistant to the temptation of trying to modulate because I want to, you know, convince someone. I'm, I want to stick very, very close to what I've learned of what my experience has been and what I believe in. So I'm staying very, very close to that. And you, I'm, very, I'm very comfortable with that. You kind of, you get what you see and I'm not, yes. not going to shape shift in order to appear, appease you. Yeah. That's that's how I feel about this this race. So there's a certain level of of peace, and you know, con, uh, I'm very at ease with what I'm doing. And and I guess it's also part of the experience of being older and having been there, 
that uh, that allows me to have this sentiment that you know what in the end it's about who I am and what I believe in and and I'm confident that people will want to support that but uh, at the end of the day I'm, I'm going to continue to be who I am okay well I'm going to let you get back to your elite athletic life <laughs> thank you thank you very Great. much Kurt hope to see Great. you thank you thanks for your time we'll see you again bye-bye I'm Kirk DePoint, publisher and editor-in-chief at BIV. Thanks for watching.